The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Amen. Thank you, Miss Meg, as always. Well, as we come, if you're visiting with us or if it's been a while, it's been a month, it's hard to believe, this is the second Sunday. So as we've done the last seven months, can you believe that? Six months, really, seventh time 
Uh, we are in the study of the nine marks of a healthy church. We have gone through, and I'll go through them quickly. Uh, we went through why it's important that a healthy church preaches, teaches sound doctrine. That's number two, preaches number one. Uh, I'm looking at Tina because Tina always reminds me if I forget one. Number three is the gospel. We need to get the gospel right. If we don't get that right, nothing matters. Uh, Dave Holdsworth preached in April on conversion, what it means to know that you're saved, but, but how do you get saved? What does that look like? John Moody, we got him out of the back row for one Sunday, praise the Lord, and uh, he preached on evangelism. Uh, last month, John Higgins, our deacon, preached on uh, church membership, Mark number 6. Today, Derek McMurdy, our share team leader, father of three, Southwest, or, uh, Southwestern, Midwestern grad, trucker by day, ninja by night, preacher by Sunday, as he is, will come. Uh, as pastor, I just want to say again, I, I don't take lightly for someone to step into this pulpit. The men who have filled this pulpit are, are men in your church, our church, that are trusted to, to bring forth the Word of God. Don't think that any more lightly because they don't have the name senior pastor behind them. These are men who studied. They've men who've been prayed up. They're, they're, they're ready to hear. So you, you pray this morning that whatever Derek brings, that it is, it is to our benefit, to our ears. And so, uh, Brother Derek, without any further ado, why don't you come on up? Uh, we call him the Bearded Ninja. He's from Oklahoma, so and he's an Oklahoma State fan. You can give him grief afterwards, but may your hearts be open as you come. Brother, thank you for preaching. Amen. Thank you, brother. Thank you for, um, as you said, shared, allowing me to share the pulpit. And uh, it's always great to bring the Word of God, regardless of who it is. Um, uh, but it's also... It's extra sweet uh, when it's your church family, and so it's great for me to be able to do that this morning. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. We'll be looking at verses 15 through 20, and if you'll stand with me as we read the word here. Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. Hear the word of the Lord, the words of our Lord Jesus says, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you. So that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say, to you, whatever you bind on earth has been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two or three agree on earth about anything that they, that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, 
I am in their midst. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you, Lord, for a challenging word that doesn't only just mere um, have sweet sound to our ears, Lord, but calls us to action. Pray, Father, that we would hear what you would have us to hear, that we would listen to you, Lord. May I, may I become lesser so you, so you may become greater, Lord. Turn our ears to you. May we lay abstractions of the world aside. May we bask in your grace, your abounding grace. We thank you, Lord, for this time as we continue to worship you. We pray this and everybody says, amen. So, discipline. You may be seated, sorry. So, what is it that comes to mind? What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you, when you hear that word, discipline? The first thing that happened to, to come to my mind was the whirring sound of a fly swatter come barreling toward me at a high rate of speed, right, and connecting with my rear end when I was a little young fellow that was a rebel, a rebel to the cause, right? I wouldn't eat my dinner. That was, the, that was the thing. And though I deserve that, right, because that is what discipline is. It's this correction. But there's also another aspect to discipline that is very helpful. There's this instruction. So there's instructive discipline, and yet there's also this correctiveness. Just like when a soldier, I know many of you served in the military, brother, that um, you go to basic training, right? When you, when you, what is that to teach you is to teach you discipline. So you will be disciplined, so you'll be able to serve in time of hard times that are to come. But at the time, it seems as if the sergeant would be trying to water your face in the mud or something, right? It's a hard thing, but it is good. And so, too, as we heard in Hebrews this morning, the discipline of our children it is a good thing. We must have discipline in our lives. And so, too, as Christians, even in the Christian life, we must have discipline. We must be disciplined with spiritual disciplines, but also we are prone to sin. And when we are prone to sin, we must be corrected in that. And I'm convinced that the Lord does this in, in three ways. One, just simply by the Word of God. He, he, he corrects us in that by revealing himself in the word, revealing his holiness, and thus reveals sin, and we get back on the right path. Two, by the preaching of the word of God, by the Holy Spirit that dwells within a believer, hearing the word being proclaimed causes us to correct our course, which is called repentance. We turn from walking down the line of sin, and we, we turn back to the Lord. And the third way, I believe he does it, is the third way that we're going to look at, we're going to look at this today, is through the church. 
through believers. When one's heart is hard to the word of God, when the heart is hard even to the preached proclamation of the word, it takes someone out of love stepping in to correct a brother or sister that is in sin. I mean, we wouldn't, we wouldn't even think about running out to, to rescue a child who's, who's barreling off out in the highway, would we? You know, if we saw a child heading to, toward 435, we would do everything we could to, to stop that. Well, sin is like this wandering path, wandering off down this road of destruction. Now, hang on, but we're talking about believers, right? So, I'm not saying that one can lose the salvation. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is that there's dire consequences for sin. And if it's not corrected before it bears fruit into full-blown sin, there are very dire consequences. We, we, we read that, praise the Lord, that we looked at at um, with David and Bathsheba this morning, right from Second Samuel, we looked at that in our in our small groups classes this morning. Sin bearing full bare fruit, and there's consequences for that. But praise God that Nathan came, and then when David repented, he spared his life. But there were still consequences, wasn't there, for that? It's no different than if I went and jumped off a bridge. Though I would be a Christian and though I'd be saved by the blood of the Lamb, there would be consequences for that action that I took. There'd be broken legs. Maybe I would even, it would even have taken my life, right? You know how high the bridge is. There's consequences for our sin. But it's just like disease-ridden, um, such as even cancer, when it is, when it is detected... We need to go into hyperactive, corrective mode out of love for the person that is in sin. So, directing our attention to the Word here. Matthew 18, it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful chapter. The Lord Jesus is teaching His, his disciples in a house in Capernaum. And he's giving this illustration leading up to this of a small infant, small child that is sitting in Jesus' lap. Because the disciples are wandering off into sin. They are talking about who is going to be greatest in the kingdom. These are the disciples, right? The leaders in, in the church are not exempt from sin. Apostles were not even exempt from sin. It's like, well, well, you know that they're, you know, they're like way up here, so sin can't quite reach them, right? No, that's that's wrong. We've seen all kinds of moral failures, even the SBC, even close to home. In that, we are not above that, brothers and sisters. We all need to be on guard. We all need to be watching out for one another in this. So, Jesus uses this as a time to teach, as that's what he did. And praise God for that, because then we have it. As Matthew, even the tax collector, is writing this, as he has written this down. 
So, so who comes into the kingdom? And Jesus is telling them that it's like this child, low and meek, independent, having faith like a child, this childlike kind of faith. High and mighty is not going to enter the kingdom, but you enter the kingdom like this little child. And then he even goes into talking about who would ever cause this little one, not talking about the children now, we're talking about believers, who would ever cause one of these, these, these believers to stumble should even have a, tied, have a millstone tied around their neck and cast into the sea. Now that is a pretty stark, that is kind of like a, whoa, hang on a minute. They deserve death, even somebody who is to, to cause a believer to stumble, that's what they deserve, they deserve to die? Oh, Wow. So we begin to see that Jesus is taking sin very seriously. This isn't a mild thing. He's taking this very seriously. Even going to the point of calling those who are in the world that are not believers to set a stumbling block. There's judgment and judgment. There's judgment to come. And he gives an illustration here. In verse 12, he gives this illustration of the lost sheep. It's probably familiar with the we're probably familiar with that, right? The, 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 the good shepherd, he puts his 99 sheep over here, and he goes after the one. He goes after him, doesn't he? And brings him back in great rejoicing. It says in verse 14, So it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones perish. He's talking about the believers in this passage right here. That's what he's talking about. He's not going to allow one of you, or if you are in Christ, he is not going to allow you to wander off and perish into sin. He's not going to allow that. He's going to come after you, and he's going to come after you in hot pursuit. And that's when we come to the discipline passage. So that sets us up. So what are we going to see today? What are we going to learn from this? What are we, I want you to take home with you. I'm not literally going to give you something, but you can write it down or whatever. Because the importance, we need to know what the importance of discipline is. We're not, we're not, we're not preaching a, from the Nine Marks book. We're teaching from the Word of God which nine marks gets from the Word of God. Amen? So that's a good thing. When I first heard about this church discipline thing, I was hard to it because I'm thinking, what? that is not loving. Who would do that? Cast people out of the church? Are you crazy? But I didn't have a good view of, one, what the church was, membership, and evangelism. There's so much of an equal parallel to the ministry that we're going to look at today, to evangelism, though evangelism is directed towards unbelievers, going after unbelievers. Paul is going to go win souls for Jesus, and, and this passage is saying we're going to go find these lost sheep that have wandered astray, and we're going to gather them up. We're going to bring them back in the fold and nurture them. Intend to them. 
So I want you to know the importance of this. That, that why, why we're, where we're teaching on this, why we're preaching on this topic, so that you will know the importance that when the time comes, because it will come when it comes down to the wire, when we as a church have to make a decision to, to carry these things out or not, what do we do? Do we, do we hold to what the Word of God says? Or do we hold what the world says? The world doesn't like this message, folks. The world does not like that at all. Keep your church in the church is what they say. But we are to take care of our own. We're to love one another. Paul says, what do I do? Come with you with a rod? Or out of love? So we're going to look at four biblical truths concerning the importance of church discipline. We're going to look at four truths concerning the importance of church discipline. And I'll just go through them quickly here. Sin must be confronted. That's number one. Sin must be confronted. Number two, the unrepentant sin must be confirmed. It must be confirmed. That's what we're going to look at. The third, unrepented sin must be made known to the church. And fourth, in the world, sure as thunder don't like this, the church has the authority to discipline. So let's look at these biblical truths. So sin must be confronted. Let's look at verse 15. Look there with me. Jesus is speaking, and he's speaking to his disciples, he says, if your brother sins, one manuscript, your version may say, sins against you. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault in private. So who is to go? We like the Great Commission, right? Because it says, go therefore and make disciples. That's a good thing. But this is another commission. This is a command. This, this go here is telling us to go. To go and show your brother his fault. Or show your brother his sin. That can be a tough pill to swallow, isn't it? We talked about accountability this morning. That's what the lesson was on this morning accountability if your brother's in sin to show him that sin jesus says abide in me and i in you those are good things so what is it so how does this play out so if your brother sins and, and thankfully, I didn't bring the book. I was going to bring the book. Jonathan Lehman, in the Nine Marks little book series, it's a little orange book. He has like the half, like half of the book is, is based upon different types of scenarios of different sins that they've dealt with. So what kind of sin is worth going to your brother who's in fault? What kind of sin is it? How big, how great of a sin should, should be confronted? And thus we must ask the question, well, why would we confront them? It says the end of verse 15, 
So if he listens to you, you've won your brother back. So that's the motive behind this. But still, what is, what constitutes the greatness of sin that we should confront them? Because we don't want to interfere with somebody's life, right? And, and it, you know, in American society, you know, I mean, I know, I know my neighbors, a couple of them, right? But like, I don't know them like enough to go like knock on their door and, spit and sit and visit for four hours with them. Because we, we're kind of secluded, aren't we? With social media and all these things, these different outreaches that we have and ways, different ways to connect face-to-face, sometimes we struggle with that. And I'm actually, crazy enough, I actually fall into the millennial category, okay? Which is, I'm like right at the line, right? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and, so, and so, like, my generation, we, 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 the face-to-face thing is kind of a difficult thing sometimes to overcome because of text messaging and email and, and even calling is nearly, picking up a phone and actually calling somebody and talking to them is nearly even kind of an outdated thing. But Jesus is saying you go to them. There's an example of this in Galatians 2 when Paul goes and confronts Peter to his face. To his face, face to face. And note it says here, in private or in alone. This isn't a public thing. Brother upon brother within the local church or brother and sister or whatever, you know. In the local church. I'm not talking about unbelievers outside the church. I'm not talking about the, the ones in, 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 in the church down the road. I'm talking about our fellowship, our church. This is what this looks like. Within the church, if a brother is in sin, we go to them in private. And look, and if he listens to you, look there. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. It's just like the shepherd who has found the sheep, though he may be battered and torn and hung up in the thorn bushes and all sorts of different things and drag him out of there and, and, and throw him up on their shoulders and, and carry him back with the fold. Amen. The sheep has been found. It's a great thing. And that's what our relationship as brothers and sisters, we need to look at one another in this sense that we would care for one another. We would love one another enough to go to a brother or a sister in Christ and say, man, I've, I've seen this pattern in your life. Would, would, would you like to talk about that? We must confess our sin. See, sin has its power. Sin has its power when it remains in the darkness and the shadows off over here in the corner. And I'm convinced that when one confesses sin and the light sheds upon that sin, that sin has no more power anymore because it's already been nailed to the cross. Amen? So, what, so, so why is it hard to do this? Because Satan wants us to keep our mouth shut. He wants us to keep our mouth shut in evangelism. Going to seek to, 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 to win the lost. And he wants us to keep our mouth shut in the church. You don't want to ruffle any feathers. You don't want to rock the boat, do you? 
Now, what I'm, not, what I'm not saying is that we need to go and we gossip about somebody. Prayer chains can be a very good thing, but they can also be a gossip hotline. And I don't say that. It's just, it's just, just true. That's just, that's just the way it is. Our, our nat- we have a fallen nature. Our hearts are deceptive to us. Our hearts are deceptive deceives us because we we feel we were going off all these feelings and emotions that just roll like a roller coaster but the word of god is steady pray praise him for that it is steady and it's cut and dry and very clear jesus is giving this mandate to his church For reconciliation. So that believers who were in sin can now be reconciled to back to one another, but also back to the Lord. So this is the marvelous thing of how the Lord has set this thing up. That reconciliation happens in evangelism. When one comes to faith, one puts their faith in Christ, that person is no longer an enemy to God now. But then is 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 accepted in the fold and with with church, with, you know, and church membership. That's why membership is so important. Because you can't discipline a, somebody that's not a member. You can protect the flock, you can protect the fold, but that's for another sermon, right? But if membership is 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 very important, and thank you, brother Higgins, for that last for the last time. Because without that, this makes absolutely no sense. You've won your brother. That's the motive. To win our brother or sister back when they've gone astray. So this is the first truth. And you're thinking, oh boy, still three more, huh? Amen. There's still three more. This church discipline process, and it is a process. Each one of these builds off of one another. So the first process is a one-on-one intervention kind of thing. You go to your brother alone and talk about it. And if he doesn't listen to you, that's where we come to the second. The unrepented sin must be confirmed. Okay, so now Jesus is talking about confirmation. So you take a witness or two with you and go back to your brother or sister who's in sin. Now, why in the world would he want to, would we want to have other witnesses? This goes back to Deuteronomy, uh, Deuteronomy 19, verse 15. He, he, he states that, the law of Moses states that the mouth, with the mouth of two or three witnesses, witnesses is an important thing, for two reasons. For two reasons. One, for the person who is, has the accusation brought against him. Okay, so if Brother Darren is in sin and I go to him and he says, forget you, man. And then so I bring two or three more with him, but I'm maybe I've already told them about something. And I've maybe I have fallen into sin by telling them a kind of a lie. But, you know, Darren, boy, he just really, you know, he's really messing it up. And so two or three witnesses come and then they're like, well, no, you know, Darren, he's not in sin. What, What were you thinking? Problem resolved, amen? 
but also for the one to protect the one who is going and to protect the church as a witness to the church by the mouth of two or three witnesses. So let's look at the text here. Look at verse 16. It says, But if he does not listen to you, if he remains unrepentant, if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you. So by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. May everything be brought into the light. That's what I said earlier about when, when sin is brought into the light, it loses its power. That's a real thing. Think of it this way. We live in Kansas City here. We get in the wintertime. It's not wintertime now. Praise God for that, right? <laughs> we get an ice storm that comes in. And, and you have this layer of ice that forms upon the road. The road looks fine, doesn't it? But when you get out on that sucker, what do you you wind up spinning off and flying into the bar ditch or something? The ice gets between your tires and the road and causes you to go off the trail. And so too does sin in our life as we're as we're as we're going. We're, we're, we're following the Lord, and then sin comes, and we slip off, and we wander our way off over here somewhere and wind up in a bar ditch. But when the light comes and the salt comes, amen, what does it do? The ice melts, doesn't it? The ice is gone. There's traction again, and so too with sin because it's been nailed to the cross as we sing amen has no more power over us so this is the second phase within this church discipline one on one and then like two or three on one and you're thinking man you're like really ganging up on this guy right this guy ain't got a chance this is a rescue mission this isn't a going and beating him up kind of mission. This is a he's out here flailing about, drowning out in the ocean, and we're trying to go find him and rescue him. The more the merrier, right? That's where we're getting at. That's where we're getting at. He's in sin and he needs to be rescued. So the third biblical truth. So the so we've seen that sin needs to be confronted. We see that it is confirmed by the mouth of two or three. And the third, the unrepented sin must be made known to the church. Look there in verse 17 with me. He says, if he refuses to listen to them. Okay, now who's the them? The them are the witnesses, right? The two or three that have gone. If he refuses to listen to them, still is unrepentant, still in his sin, tell it to the church, tell it to the assembly, tell it to the called out ones, the local body. That's a tough thing. 
you don't hear too many sermons on that. That we're to make it public. We're to, we're to pronounce that. And he even goes on to say we're to even cast them out. Look there. He says, even if he refuses to listen to the church, let him be as a Gentile and a tax collector. Even if he refuses to listen to the church, still remaining unrepentant in these things. And you're thinking, man, what about this poor guy? He's getting beat up even by the church is now turning on him. Again, we have to think of this as a rescue mission. We're trying to rescue this guy out of sin's clutches. I heard a professor say that we are to hunt down our sin and kill it. We are to hunt our sin down and kill it. So look in the darkest parts of your life. Is there sin there? We're called to kill it. We're called to find it out. We're called to bring it in the light to confess that. Because none of us, none of us are, are out of the reaches of falling into this. However, by the grace of God, He has implemented this as a comfort to us that if we do fall into sin in such a way that we can know that our brothers and sisters are going to come after us. And two, knowing that if our brother or sister or wife or spouse or children like fall into sin, that we can know that the Lord has commissioned us to go after them. Now this doesn't work with unbelievers. If, if you're here today and you're not a believer, that this here doesn't apply to you. Because unfortunately you're still dead in your sins and trespasses. But there is hope, there is grace by His shed blood. Through the mercy of God that made a way, made a way, made a road, made a way that so we can know Him. Isn't that a beautiful thing? That sinners can be reconciled to God? So if you're here today and, and you don't know the Lord, like you, you're like, man, this crazy guy is like talking about going to knocking on people's doors, like going to people's houses, the church attacking them, and all these, all these crazy things. Like, no, this is a gracious gift of God that God would ordain such a way so that sinners... That we all are can still be reconciled to him. That he's not going to let us go. Right? We're familiar with, with Romans chapter 8. What can separate us from the love of God is in Christ Jesus. Nothing can. And so forth. This is wise because as believers in the local church, we are mandated to keep one another from going astray the church so when this brother has the church now has been made aware of sin now it's the mandate for the church to continue to go after him and to plead with them and to go and say lord like come back repent and come back. What, what you're doing is, is not biblical. This is not a good thing. 
come back. It's this unrepented one. What if he doesn't listen to the church? What if he doesn't even listen to all? What if he doesn't want to be rescued? I have a paramedic friend. I could never be a paramedic. I'd be laying next to the person that was injured or something, right? But I have a paramedic friend that, 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 that tells me stories about what people do not want. Treatment. They refuse treatment. That's a sad thing, isn't it? I mean, think of somebody that, that, is, that, is, that, is, that is laying on the ground here, dying, but they're saying, like, no, I do not want your help. You leave me alone. That'd be foolish. We would think, right? That's kind of what this, this picture is. We're, we're going to do all that we can to go after this person. And we grieve. Ah, that's something, isn't it? I know there's been some, some of you have lost loved ones, even, even here recently. And there's a time of grieving, isn't there? There's a time of mourning. When's the last time that we've mourned over sin? Either in your own life or in a brother or sister's life. We need to mourn over our sin. The holiness of God is so great. He calls His people, He calls us to be holy, to reconcile one another to Himself. Galatians 6.1. Turn, turn there with me to Galatians 6.1. This is a beautiful thing of one being reconciled in what we're talking about here. Unbeliever, or a, a believer, sorry being reconciled back to the Lord. So what does Paul say about this? Galatians 6, 1. Brethren, if, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, that's a pretty broad stroke right there. So if anybody is caught in any trespass, you are, you, talking to the people, you who are spiritual, Restore such a one in spirit of gentleness. To restore. These commentators and such say that this word is the same word that's used for mending nets. A fisherman that would be going out fishing, he would have to fix his nets. As Peter, when he got that great catch of fish and his nets began to tear, he would have had to fix them. He would have had to repair them in order to be efficient. For in order for a church to be efficient, we need to have all the holes tied up. We need to have our net in a good working order. We need to have our membership in, in good working order. And I'm not talking about this legalistic sense of like, oh, we need to make sure we all walk this straight and narrow line. And we all need to. I'm talking about a spirit of humility in, in confessing sin to one another, in, in making a big deal of sin. Because the world makes a big deal of sin, especially sin that's in the church. The world's talking all about that. And just waiting for us to trip up so they can rub it in our face. And not in this as much so as rubbing it in our face, but this is, this is discrediting our Lord and Savior who is holy. 
The church is to be presented to him as a bride without spot or blemish. So, too, we need to be holy. We do that through confession of sin. I'm not talking about going to some little box and confessing sin to a priest. That's not what I'm talking about. Confessing sin to the Lord, confessing sin to one another, and repenting of it, turning away from it. Accountability. I have this thing on my phone in which that I would, I would, I would recommend to well, really anybody. This accountability thing on this, on this, on my phone, on my computer. I haven't actually downloaded it on my computer yet, but I got it on my iPad called called Covenant Eyes. Maybe some of you have heard it. Maybe some of you have it. It's something, it's, it's, it's a tracking device on my phone. It tracks where I have been surfing at on the internet. It's accountability. We need accountability in our lives, beloved. When I was in, when I was in New Orleans, many of you know I went to New Orleans back in February on an evangelism trip. So I, we were down there in in. And the professor down there says that this is like the throne room of Satan down there at Mardi Gras. And I would have to agree with him. I had never been in the throne room of Satan, but if I could imagine such, that would be it. And when you go into the darkness as such, you have this huge target on your back. That, it, that if you are not... If you are not Walking in a manner as pure heart and clean of hands, you're not going to make it. You're going to you're going to you stumble and fall. It's just it's just like our regular lives. I mean, this is the holiness of, of, of God that we're that we're we're worshiping in the shadow of. It's not a shadow. It's this marvelous light. And so, when the light goes into the darkness, the darkness doesn't like it. And the darkness does everything it can to make the light go away. And in, in, in that room, I think it was our second night that we were there, we were, we, were, we were in the room and we were all gathered around. All us evangelists were gathered around, probably, I don't know, maybe 40 or 50 of us, maybe not quite that many, but we're in this little church in this room and we're all gathered around and we're fixing to pray. And I grabbed one of my very good friend, I grabbed him up and, and went outside because I had sin in my life that I had to confess. Because I knew that going back out there again, that I was just being a hypocritical sucker in the sin. Like, how could I go on through this proclaiming the love of God, proclaiming forgiveness of sin, Calling sinners to repentance. How can I do that? I couldn't. Praise God that he convicted me. And so I have an accountability partner. Like a real live one, right? We check up on one another every week. I'd suggest you get one. It's a good thing. Here they're having a two-for-one deal or something. But No, just kidding. But <laughs> Get somebody you can talk with on a personal one-to-one -one kind of a thing. And you may not, you might not have any blatant sin. You may not even have anything. It could be, could be pride. It could be gossip. It could be, it could be. We're all prone to something. We're all prone to something. But in that, 
We all need to confess it when we fall in that, okay? But there's restoration. So who in the world can do this? Who in the world can pull this thing off? Because the world will say, who has the authority to tell somebody how to live their life? Obviously, we know the Word of God. But also, the Lord gives authority to the church. That's our last. The authority to discipline His church. Look there quickly. Verse 18 and 19. And 20. Truly I say to you, this Jesus, he's saying this is true. We're to listen. Truly I say to you, if two of you agree on earth of anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in their midst. Wow. That kind of brings a whole new kind of a whole new light to that passage, doesn't it? It's not talking about a prayer meeting. It's talking about when people, when the church has come together in seeking the face of the Lord in this matter of disciplining the church, disciplining a believer, disciplining a brother. It's in sin. He says, there I am in the midst. In verse 18, it says that this is doing the will. No, in verse 19, it says that this is my Father's will. By my Father who is in heaven, it shall be done. This shall be done through Him. This is So Jesus, the night that He went to the cross, Jesus, the night He went to the cross, He prayed in the garden, didn't He? Luke recorded He prayed sweat drops of blood. But in that prayer, John records that he prayed for all those who would believe. He prayed for us. And it's recorded. Isn't that a great thing? That we have been prayed for by our Lord. He says, the glory which you have given me, this is the Lord's prayer. So the Lord you have given me, I give to them. I give to the church. I give to all those who are going to believe and going to follow me. I give this glory to them that they may be one. So this whole thing is, is, is driven off of so that we can be one, so we can glorify God in all that we do. And Jesus prayed for that. And when we do this, when, when, when two or three, when the, when the church, when we gather together, pray for brother and sister in Christ, this is the will of God. We'll be obedient to Him. And it can be a tough thing. It can be a hard thing. But it's a reassuring thing. Because He's commissioned us to do it. And so church, that's where I implore you this morning. Is this Tower View? Are we committed to this? It's actually like in our bylaws and constitution. This very thing that we've went over. Church discipline, it's in there. But are we willing to implement? Are we willing to go after a brother or sister in Christ who has fallen? Does anybody that falls may need some help getting up.
I fell off the deck of a trader one time, and I wasn't feeling very good, and I stepped off. Ever just stepped off into thin air? I mean, you know, just flat out stepped off into thin air and just barrel rolled. And I had a buddy of mine that was working with me. He come jump off the trader, and he picked me up. Like this sucker, he all but jerked me off the ground. Are we willing to do that? A brother or sister who's in sin? May it be the case. May it be the case. Motivated out of love for them. Now again, as, if, as I said before, that if you are here today and you are not a believer, this may be some sort of a different kind of service for you to hear. But that there is hope in Christ Jesus that all have sinned. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But there is great forgiveness and abounding love through Him, through the Lamb that was slain. That Jesus lived a perfect and sinless life that we couldn't live and died the death that we deserve. He was nailed to the cross. And that's where our sins were nailed to the cross. He died, He shed His blood. And He was buried and He rose again on the third day. In all His glory. Defeating sin. Defeating death. So that we who believe and trust in Him. Can be with Him. Forever. So if you don't know this Lord. What's stopping you from trusting Him today? I don't know where your heart is. The person sitting next to you don't know who you are, where your heart is. He hadn't given us like x-ray heart vision where we can see into your heart to know what is there. The Lord knows. But you will repent of your sins and trust Him today. Believer, if you are here living in unrepentant sin, I call you to repent of that today. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your grace. We thank You for your word that you've given us, this great hope and abounding love that's resting in you. I pray, Father, that by your grace you'd speak to us. Speak to us daily as we read. Speak as we, as we seek your face, Lord. May it be made known. Pray, Father, that, that we would be a church that was marked by your love for one another, that we would go after and to redeem a brother or sister that's fallen. May we shout from the rooftops the grace of our Lord, the blood of the Lamb that was shed for us. We thank you, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.